Not my president. How many of y'all have heard that? <laughs> Not my president. It's been a slogan in this country for many years now. It definitely was around with Trump. It probably was around for Obama. It may have even started with Bush or earlier. But as our contempt for government and government officials grow, is this attitude acceptable to God? Turn with me to Romans chapter 13, and we'll see what the Spirit has to say to us through the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're mainly just going to go over the first seven verses, but to give us a little context, we'll read the whole chapter and then come back and begin to talk about it. Romans chapter 13, start reading in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So today we have two admonitions regarding government. The first one is this. Submit to government because it carries out God's justice. Submit to government because it carries out God's justice. A major role of government is to carry out justice. Look again at verses 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The governmental authority is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Paul just talked about this at the end of chapter 12, verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, what should be a relief to us in this life is the prospect that God's wrath will be executed on the wrongdoer. In chapter 12, Paul tells us not to avenge ourselves, to leave it to God's wrath. Then almost immediately in chapter 13, he says, Good news, friends. You don't always have to wait until the next life to see justice. God has appointed avengers in this life to carry out his wrath. And it's not Batman. (laughs) For those who experience injustice... This should be a relief. This takes a burden off of their shoulders. It's no longer up to them to restore balance or to exact vengeance. There can be justice in this life. Now here's where the train falls off the rails for most of us. But what about all the injustice that goes unpunished? What about when it's outside the realm of government to enforce justice? What about governments that are tyrannical or oppressive or incompetent? Legitimate questions and legitimate concerns. The reality for many people in the world and most people in history. So my first and main answer is this. Remember who is writing this letter. Paul isn't writing this letter from his office in the library of a prestigious academy. Paul isn't saying these things from a mansion looking out over the waters of the Mediterranean as he sips on a pina colada. This is not just some academic discussion for Paul. This is not just some theoretical idea for Paul. Paul says this about himself. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Remember the guy who's writing this letter. And even beyond that, remember the Lord Jesus himself, who submitted himself to the authorities who demanded his crucifixion. The greatest injustice in the universe came at the hands of the very governments that God established and enabled. When justice is served, we don't praise the government for doing what it has been designed to do. We give it respect and honor, yes, but we praise the God who has established such institutions. When justice is not served, we don't blame God for his lack of control. We cry out to the institutions and beg for justice. And when it still doesn't come, we continue to submit to the God who is sovereign. We entrust vengeance to him in his timing, which may mean it is not seen or executed until the next life. But isn't this one of the hardest things to do in this life? 
to wait for justice? My favorite stories are stories of justice and vengeance. Vigilante justice. One of my favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo. Why? Because the dude gets his revenge. Treasure is found. People get stabbed. Other people get shot. Providence has it so that he's able to take things into his own hands. He manipulates situations for his advantage and to disadvantage his enemy. He gets justice for how he was wronged in the first place. I love those stories. Many people do because it speaks to the sense of justice so many of us have. The desire to see balance brought to a situation. Isn't that what blind lady justice is holding? A scale? A balance. When something is off, it's meant to be brought back into equilibrium. And one of the first thoughts that ought to come to our minds when we think about justice is how unjustly Christ was treated for us. As we think about our relationship to God, we have not been treated with justice. Listen, if we think that we have deserved what God has given to us in Christ, the justification that has been granted to us because of Christ's life and death and resurrection, then we have completely misunderstood the gospel. The greatest injustice in the history of the world was planned by God. God has used injustice to bring about our justification. When you believe, when I believe, that Christ's perfect life is put onto my account and that my deserved punishment has been laid on Jesus at the cross solely because of the grace of God, then we are declared righteous. We are declared forgiven. How unfair a punishment on him and how unfair a gift for me. Righteousness born from injustice is at the heart of the gospel. So when it comes to whether or not the things of this life are fair or not, we need not concern ourselves with writing them all on our own. God is in control. Do you trust him? Now, you can hear me say all that and misunderstand me, because I'm not saying that we have no role to play. We do have a role to play in this life, in this world, especially in our society. We have a voice. We can vote. We can help enact change. And I believe that part of our role as Christians in society is to promote justice, justice in our own lives, justice in our town, justice in our nation and world, justice based on the truth of God, justice based in the love of God. True social justice is treating each other in a genuinely human way as God has designed it. It may be easy to think that we should have a removed, callous disregard for how people are treated unfairly by others or by the government itself. But just to the contrary, Paul has just told us to weep with those who weep. God has just said that his wrath will come through in the end. So both now and later, God is at work. For those who are unjustly oppressed, we weep. For those who get away with unjust oppression, 
God will avenge. Many people wonder why Paul inserts this discussion about government where he does here in Romans 13. My thought is that he does it here because our attitude toward government has a direct correlation with our attitude toward God. When we trust God, we are trusting that his plan is better than ours. When the government persecutes us, we can still bless them and not curse them. When the government promotes us, we stay humble and show love to those less fortunate. And no doubt our attitude toward God comes out in our relationships with other people, whether inside or outside the church. Do we trust what God is doing? Are we submitting ourselves to him? This leads us to our second admonition concerning government. Submit to government because in doing so, we are submitting to God. Submit to government because in so doing, we are submitting to God. Read again verses 5 through 7 here in our text in chapter 13. Starting in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Jiminy Cricket said it so well so long ago, let your conscience be your guide. Of course, advice from a talking animal should only go so far in the real world. Speaking from personal experience, of course. But seriously, an informed conscience is a powerful motivator. And that's what Paul is referencing here. Now that we clearly understand God's sovereignty over the governing authorities, don't just let fear motivate you. Let the truth set you free. We do not only submit out of fear, but also out of truth. As we come to understand that God is sovereign, especially over the authorities in our life, then we understand that service to them is service to him. It is not just about avoiding the consequences. It is also about honoring God's authority. It is a way to honor God. It is a way to love him because we recognize that this is a way that he has first loved us. So we're not just obeying blindly. We're not just submitting out of duty We are joyfully acting from a recognition of God's love and sovereignty. So, how do you naturally approach submitting to authority? What emotions tend to drive you? What reasons motivate you? How do you naturally approach submitting to authority? For some, it may be loyalty. This person has earned my trust. This institution has shown that it is trustworthy. Maybe for some it's fear of retribution, fear of punishment. And this is my normal go-to. Oftentimes I only do certain things so that I won't get in trouble. The avoidance of punishment. For some it may be what they receive. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. right? Maybe you're in more of the middle ground. 
not afraid and not loyal, but just trying to stay under the radar so that you can just go about with your business as usual. I'm just here to keep my head down and get a paycheck. What's intriguing about what Paul says here is that there is both a negative and a positive reason to submit to the authority that God has established over us. Submission is a way to avoid God's wrath. That's the negative reason. And the positive reason is for the sake of conscience. To know that I am doing what God has called me to do. That by honoring this office, I am honoring him. That by respecting the authorities over me, I am respecting his authority over me. That by giving taxes and fees, I am giving back to God. Notice I said giving there, not paying. Something that is easily missed in our translations is there in verse 7 in our text. Look at it. It says, pay to all what is owed to them. But the word here translated pay means give. Literally, it means give back. You can, if you want to, turn to Mark chapter 12. See where this word is used elsewhere. In Mark chapter 12. The famous exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, the question about taxes is raised. It starts there in verse 13 of Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now notice the word choices that were used. The question as it was posed said, Is it lawful to pay taxes? Should we pay them? But Jesus' response doesn't use the word pay. He uses the word that is translated render. Now guess where that same word render is used elsewhere? In Romans 13. It's the same word there in verse 7 in Romans chapter 13. Give. Give back. The fact of the matter is that you are receiving some level of governmental support. Fire, police, roads, law and order, safety, assistance, education. Rendering taxes, giving taxes, is in fact an act of rendering to God the things that are God's. Oftentimes, we separate Jesus' answer into two different realms. On the one hand, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And on the other hand, render to God the things that are his. But we shouldn't separate it like that. I don't think that's what Jesus really meant originally. Because when we read in Romans 13, what Paul says about it, we see that rendering to the government, giving back to the government, is in itself giving back to God. Because God has established 
government. So in submission to God, we in turn submit to the government's authority to collect taxes. And the attitude that we should have in doing this should not be drudgery. It should not be animosity. It should not be that we're only doing this because we were told to. We should delight in doing this. Let me say it this way. Paying your taxes is a form of worship. Paying your taxes is a way to worship God. Have you ever thought about it like that before? (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll probably confess I'm not sure I had really thought about it like that before either. I mean, it's different. It's a bit radical in just about any culture. And so I think maybe we need to let that idea marinate a little bit in our hearts. And now let me take it a step further. Honoring public officials is a way that we honor God. Here in Virginia, we're right in the heat of election season. Anymore, it seems like every season is election season, right? Everyone is now constantly jockeying for a position, no matter how close to an election we are or not. But especially right now in Virginia, we are bombarded with online ads and rallies and signs all over town. So what a great time to have this text come up. I'm connected to a lot of people from a lot of different states, different backgrounds, different beliefs, different political preferences. And you know what is rare among those who express themselves publicly? What is rare is the person who shows respect and honor to all in government. Freedom of speech means our voices can be heard, not just in the ballot box, but online, in the paper, at the grocery store, in someone else's house, talking to our neighbor for three minutes in front of the town council. But what does freedom of speech look like for a Christian who is genuinely looking to show the respect and honor that Paul references here in our text? The main thing I'd say is to go back to what Paul said in the second half of chapter 12 and look forward to what he says in the second half of chapter 13. In chapter 12, Paul says two things that stick out to me in this regard. In verse 16, he says, Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. The second thing is similar in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. So live in harmony with one another and live peaceably with all. Then in chapter 13, Paul says one thing that sticks out to me in the second half. In verse 13, he says, Do not walk in quarreling and jealousy. He says other things that we'll talk about next week. But one of the things he says is, Do not walk in quarreling and jealousy. Do not walk in quarreling and jealousy. If we truly seek to live in harmony and peaceably with one another, and if we intentionally avoid quarreling and jealousy, I can only imagine that our lives would be blessed that God would be honored. Is your attitude toward the government as a whole and toward government officials described by harmony and peace 
Or is it described by quarreling and jealousy? Are your actions and your words toward the government ones of harmony and peace or ones of quarreling and jealousy? So here's what we've said. Submit to government because it carries out God's justice. And submit to government because in doing so, we are submitting to God. During this election season, it would be wise for us to take some time to assess our attitudes toward the government. And so that's my encouragement for us this week. Assess if there are times when you are angry or bitter about someone in office. Why? Why are you bitter and angry? Have you prayed for your local leaders? Have you prayed for your state leaders? Have you prayed for your national leaders? If I'm honest, once again, I'd have to say that that's not a normal habit of mine. My natural inclination toward government is more of a roll your eyes and just keep your head down. But does that attitude honor God? Does it honor those who serve us in government? Spend some time tonight and this week assessing your heart. And I'll, I'll close by saying this. Submission to the government only takes us so far. So much of life is spent beyond the scope of the government. What are God's intentions for us, not just in our relationship to the government, but in our relationships to one another? We've seen why we should submit to the government. But beyond the payment of taxes and beyond honoring government officials, how are we to live in our day-to-day lives? Whether government is being a big, a big brother taskmaster or whether it's not concerned with my life beyond taxation, How am I to live? And the answer, I think Paul's already given in Romans chapter 12, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then he begins to talk explicitly about love. And what is the topic that he goes back to immediately after this discussion about the government? In verse 8, he begins again explicitly to talk about love. Our debt to God, our debt to society, our debt to one another, the debt that we can never repay is love. Our debt is love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for just this text. It can seem kind of random in the flow, but it's here for our good so that we can learn from it, we can apply it to our lives. And so I pray, God, that your spirit would help us to truly assess ourselves, to ask the difficult questions, to come to terms with some of the truths we've looked at today. God, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear that we might be self-aware 
and that your spirit would bring awareness to us that in all things you would receive the honor and glory that you are due that we would submit ourselves to you in all areas of our lives we pray in Jesus name amen